Do you suspect or even know if your teenager is using drugs? Do you struggle with figuring out what to do next? Do you feel overwhelmed, scared, or angry? Well, you are not alone. This is the Teen Abuse Drug Podcast, where we explore all the signs of teen drug abuse, reveal science-based impact, and share potential solutions that might just be the next thing you need to try. Here is your host, Zeev Raviv. Hello and welcome to the Teen Drug Abuse Podcast. I'm here today with Marsha Van Weinsberg. Marsha is a storytelling coach. She is also a speaker, author, and podcaster from Ontario, Canada. Hello, Marsha. How are you? I am good. How are you, Sam? It's so great to be here. Well, thank you for taking the time. And I think that a lot of parents are interested in your story because you have a, a quite an experience in your life and of overcoming all sorts of adversities related to teen drug abuse. And I, I'm, I got really encouraged personally when I read your story and heard about you. And I would love you to just take the stage and share with us a little bit about your background and, and who you were and who you are. Absolutely. Thank you so much. And first off, I love that you're actually doing this and talking about it. Can I just say that? Because I think we need more and more people having these conversations because we're not alone. I thought for years I was alone and then I had done something wrong. And that's why I was experiencing. Those are the stories I told myself and it's not true. And so I was a parent about 10 years ago, we were dealing with teen substance abuse. It came out of left field. It was not something I planned on. I saw when I can say when drugs came into our home and our family, they came and they never left. For some parents, they said, you know, it's just a phase. They're going to go through it. It's all good. Don't worry about it. We didn't have any of that experience. That was not us. It came in. It literally never left and it only amplified. And as it amplified what we found from a very young age, it entered our home probably around 12 that we saw. I had two boys that we were dealing with it. And it just continued to amplify until eventually it started to involve other substances, then police, then kids not coming home, stop going to school. Like it, when I say impacted and affected and even infected every aspect of our life, it did. It literally affected everything. I'm so sorry to hear like the nitty gritty of it is always uh, so painful. Was there a moment in this where you were like feeling hopeless, were out of advice? Can you share with us the dark moments if that's okay? Yes. Yes, of course it's okay. And yes, there were moments where I felt like giving up because I don't know how else to describe it except to say I felt like I was duct taped to a chair watching the worst movie of my life. I had no way of not watching it. I was like at a front row seat to watching something I didn't want to watch at all. And it was like, there's no way to not watch it. And so I was going to counselor support, doing all the things. And I felt like almost like the student in school who takes their little checklist and I would take my little checklist and they would say, do this, 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 and this. And I would say like a proud student saying, I did all those things. And they would say, yes, yes, good job. And I'm like, but I still have the problem. I don't even know. What am I supposed to do with that? And they would say, because it's not your problem to solve. And that's a different story. I don't have an easy answer, but that's a very different story than if it was a spouse versus minors. Because when they're minors, it's like, 
So what am I supposed to do with that? I don't even understand that. And so the very, those days of thinking like I have failed my kids, that's what I felt like I had failed my kids. And understanding that during that time, I remember like a counselor saying to me that if your boys choose to come back to you, you need to be a springboard and you're nothing but a big pile of sand right now. She was true. She was right. I had nothing left in me to give to anyone. And I was angry and resentful because of that. So my turning point and my darkest, I would say my darkest moment was one of the things when you're dealing with substance abuse and kids, you worry about overdose and you worry about suicide. And as a trigger warning for me, both things happened about four days apart while my one son was in the hospital because of an attempt, my other son overdosed. And I know that sounds, and I'm not trying to, I just want to be so real with everybody. As hard as that day was, that was my turning point. Because in that moment, both things happened in my own house. And what I was trying to do was keep everybody safe. That was not my job. And as hard as that was, that was the moment where I just went, my way is not working. This isn't working. I can't do it this way anymore. So what can I do? And so again, laws are very different all over the world when you're dealing with this. But for me, I became the advocate at that turning point that they will face consequences for their choices because I fought, I chose to fight fight for their future self, not for who they were then, but for their future self. And if that meant that there were legal ramifications, if there were things that had to happen, my job was to do whatever I could to, to keep them alive. And that's the mindset that I took, but that only came from finally hitting a, a rock bottom moment where it was like, my way is not working. It's not working. And I'm watching, like I said, I'm watching the worst case scenario play over and over and over again. Wow. I'm so sorry. This is, uh, you said it so clearly and it's uh, so painful to hear, but no. parents listening to this are feeling that just like that, like they're duct taped to watching uh, the worst movie they, they could ever choose happening in their own life. Yep. And I'm so sorry about all the very frustrating and super, super scary moments that you went through, which served as a waking moment. And I understand that you chose to switch the, 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 the mindset and, and kind of like allow legal ramifications to be a part of the playbook. And tell me what happened next, please. Yeah. And that's really where things started in the sense that I started to get, we both did, we started to get super clear on what was okay and what was not okay. And you can stay here if you do X, Y, and Z. If you do not, then you cannot. And as a parent, when people ask me all the time, they're like, should I do this? Should I not? I'm like, do not make a rule that you cannot follow. Do not make a threat that you cannot follow because that is not going to serve anyone. So if you're going to threaten to throw them out if they do X, Y, and Z, be willing to maybe have them be escorted out by police being one of the worst experiences of your life. If you're not willing to do that, don't threaten it. You have to follow through and be consistent with what you say. So during that time, it was kids in and out of the house, et cetera. We had very, very, very simple rules. I often think back when they were younger and, you know, you had, we tried everything. So I'm, I'm not mocking. I'm saying we, when in the beginning it was like, these are all the rules that you have to follow. By the end, it was like, you know what? You go to school, you come home, you're respectful. You don't break property. 
And I remember once a police officer saying, let me see the rules. And he looked at him and he said, these are life rules. These are not house rules. These are life rules. If you, He's like, if I don't follow these rules, I lose my job. So your parents are trying to create life rules. And that's the other piece that I would say is, is that we had to be very clear that this is what is required. If you choose not to do that, you cannot stay here. And I got very clear on what was okay and what was not okay. So if I'm being disrespected, if there's any property damage, you go, you don't stay here. It's that simple. And that's how black and white my life had to be. And if I felt unsafe or if I felt threatened, you have to remember, I mean, I was a female and they were two grown boys. They were... And at that point, there was one time where I wasn't getting support from, and I'm not, I want to share this because I hope it can support your listeners. There was one point when I wasn't getting support from the police officers because of my son's age. And I said, he's the same size as my husband. If my husband was doing any of these things, this would be a different story. We're not helping these kids. There has to be accountability for what they're doing. There has to be, because there's no human on this planet who will change their behavior without accountability, not one human on the planet. And so that's how I started to really work on two things. I had to work on myself, which meant I had to take ownership for my own choices in my own life. I had to take care of me. I had to make myself a priority. And I had to be super clear on what I would allow and what was okay and what those boundaries were. And I had to be willing to stick to them. So we we all go through as parents these moments where we try to establish certain rules and our teens are trying to break them. Did you encounter situations like that when you went with these simple, very important life rules? Did What happened when they try to resist them or, or fight them or break them? Did they follow them? No, like, no, they were still, they were in a space because, and sadly, anybody who's dealing with this, like your, your kids at that point, they become different humans because you're dealing with substance. And so I had so many people say to me, and, and this is just, again, my opinion, so many people say, at least you didn't lose them. You know, they didn't die. And I'm like, but I did lose them because who they were was not who I remembered them being. They became different humans. And I had to learn to grieve what my life looked like compared to what I thought it was supposed to be. So please don't feel like that you're, I don't want to say this. I don't know how to say this. Please don't feel there's anything wrong with you. If you're frustrated in the sense, because, and somebody says that at least you didn't lose them, you do lose them and you do, they, they are different people. And so during those times, I had to become so clear on what was okay and what wasn't. And if I felt threatened, the rules were you leave or the police come. You get to choose which one it is. And did that did that happen? Like, did they need to leave? A lot. To leave where? Lot. Leave to where, where? They would have to sometimes, I'm sure that they had places to stay that I would not want to see. I'm sure that they probably stayed on the street sometimes. I'm sorry. It's just, it's a really, and I want to be so real with you. There were times that I didn't know where they were for days on end, for weeks on end. We would have the conversation, bring them back, and we might start the whole process again. And so it was continually trying to find a way to be consistent. I would reach out if I could try and find them. And if they had a phone, I didn't pay for things at that point. Like all those things, when it comes down to it, 
those are all how I had to look at it is those are all privileges. Privileges are earned. I don't, it's just simple. They're earned. And you know what? They're pretty resourceful. They would find ways to get phones. They would find they're resourceful. And so, but I would, we would, we would find them and we would like take them food. We would bring them, we would do things like that. We would take them to eat, but still can't stay with us. So we did our best to find a way to still love them for who they were, but not try to fix them because it was their job to decide to create change in their life. I know that sounds really, but that's what we had to do is, and I still love you. And I send the message. And so there was, I remember vividly, there was a period of time where I would send text message every night. I love you. Please know I'm thinking of you. And I love you. I might get nasty text messages back, but I'm not going to fight about it. It was like, my job was to just let you know that I still love you, but this is what is okay for me to live in. This is what is okay for me to be in. So I I got very clear on that. It's not that we didn't have our fights because we certainly did. But I also, that meant there were sometimes I called the police twice a day. I didn't care. I didn't care. And they, and it's like, that's what their job is. And there were some officers, there were some officers who gave me a very hard time and I would call back and ask for somebody else. I'm stubborn. And I'm like, I don't need to be treated this way. This is not a safe environment. I remember once saying, you carry a gun, you called for backup, and yet I'm okay to stay by myself. Why is that? Like, how does this even make sense? I need help. Who else would I call? And so it's a process of learning, but you have to be an advocate for what you want your results to be, right? As parents, we spend a lot of time, one of the biggest lessons I've learned is saying less is actually more powerful. It's honestly, don't argue, just say less. No disrespect, no abuse, no breaking my property. And if you do, then you can't stay. And it's simple. We don't have to argue about it. They put a hole in the wall. They don't, there's nothing to talk about. It's like you did, you can't stay. And so I invite you, whatever that is for you, that was not easy. There was nothing about that that was easy. But find a way to be consistent with your messaging of what is okay and what is not okay. And for us, those rules were more about, those are life rules. If you go into work and you decide to put a hole in the office wall because you're mad at your boss, you're going to get fired. Those are life rules. And so it's, those are the things that we had to go through. It wasn't easy, but staying consistent over and over and over and over and over is what it finally took. How long did it take to make a difference that is positive? I wish I could say it was short. It wasn't short. I so wish I could say it was. It probably took myself, my husband, probably three to four years to get to this point where we were like, this is what is okay. This is what we're doing. And then consistently from there, it continued. And I mean, when our kids hit that 17, 18, and 18 being the legal age as an adult in Canada, that that's when things change, right? It's a lot different for a minor to have a legal ramification under the age of 18. You start doing something over 18. And I mean, you're never leaving the country. You're never doing like, it'll change your life forever. And so I wish in hindsight that I would have actually fought harder for legal ramifications when they were younger, even younger. And I did fight, but I wish I would have done it even more because I think that's when things started to open up in that, okay, whoa. I'm like, if you, I think it's really important that I would have conversations. If you don't like where your life is right now, like 
And this is for any of us. If we don't like where our life is right now, we are at a point where we are a collection of all the decisions that brought us here. If we want to be in a different space, we have to make different decisions and different choices. And that's what I used to say. The sooner I learned to say those things less reactive, without shame, without blame, without criticism, the more powerful they became. There's nothing else to talk about. You want to be in a different spot, you have to make different choices. Not this is all the things that you've screwed up on because nobody responds well to that kind of conversation. It's easy to do. And I did a lot of it, but it's like, how can you just empower them to make different choices? And some of it is going to come from you choosing to make different choices. So let's take a moment to breathe through these hard memories and and moments and processes. It sounds like you were really working on yourself and not just working on on educating those kids and and helping them go into people in the society that are a part a positive part of the society and, and you grew as a, as a person you became a person that can talk short like quickly and directly and clearly and 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 you know maintain uh, less is is more in these situations and being persistent and being stubborn when needed and and where are we today like what's Let's get through the the tunnel, try to look a little bit more positive. Yep. And it's, and thank you. I appreciate that. What I can say is, is that when I started to own my own choices, take responsibility for myself, I'm not saying that's why I'm saying that's the example of setting it. That's essentially what everyone had to do. If my kids wanted to create change in their life, they had to do it. See, as parents... And I've used this with them for many years. My job is not to push and pull you through life. I'll support you and I'll walk beside you and I'll cheer you on, but I cannot push and pull you through life. You have to find a way to do this yourself. And so there came a point where it was like, wait, mom, I don't really think I want to do this anymore. I think I want to go back to school. I'm like, that's a great idea. You can do that. That's a great idea. It's your idea. It's not my idea. Right. And so my kids like did go back to school later. And my one son was like, he was probably a few years behind everyone else. But it's interesting because I watch where he's at now and they're both in very different spots. They're both in, they're both great kids, call them kids, 24 and 25. And they are both following and doing the things that they like to do. But I, I encourage that. I am proud of them. I think that their success is not part of me because they are humans that are making their own decisions right now. Again, I love them to pieces. And I'm like, if they can go out and create the life that they want and be happy with it, which is what they're doing, then I think that's fantastic because a lot of humans will will go their whole life and never do that. So they've grown up a lot faster than a lot of kids their age, but they've had to because there were a period of time they were both out of the house by the time they were 16. And so they, they had to. So in this space right now, like we've got grown adults it's never perfect, right? Now, don't ever pretend that it is. But we've built a relationship of respect. I let them know I'm I'm proud of them. I love them. I say that all the time. They say it all the time. And it really has come a long ways. They know exactly what I do. I openly talk and share. I tend to share the steps of how to create that change in your life coming through a difficult story. And they also know that I respect them and I don't give a lot of details about it because that's not my story to share. And so when I first started doing it, I know they weren't sure about it. 
I know it made a lot of people uncomfortable until I remember once my husband taking some screenshots and saying, you have to see that mom is helping people. And this is what we wish was available for us when we were in it. It was never available because nobody was talking about it. And he said, you have to understand this is not about you. She's actually trying to do something good with it. And when he saw that, a lot of things changed and a lot of things changed. And we've built a much better relationship because of it. But yeah, it's definitely been been some hard years. But we also have some really honest, open conversations with our adults that I don't think a lot of parents have those conversations. I have to ask about the trust factor. Like you described the relationship that has been re- rehabilitated and that is healthy and that has respect. And I, I love how encouraging it is and how it sounds. But for, for parents that are still in the works of the whole drug abuse and, and all that comes with it, trust gets broken, shattered and disappeared. And what happens with it? From your experience, like in what happened to you to, to do your trust with your kids? Well, I'm really grateful you asked that question because trust was something that was shattered. It was definitely shattered. And if money was missing, I was assuming where it was, who took it and what it was gone for. And they'd be like, no, it wasn't me, it wasn't me, it wasn't me. And I always knew it was them. I always knew it was them. And I could argue till I'm blue in the face. I could never prove it. I couldn't do it. Trust is a really tough one to build because I don't think trust is not built on words, it's built on actions. And so we can be in a space of feeling like they'll say, you don't trust me, you don't trust me. And it's like, they're going to, they're kids, they're going to use the words they can that are manipulative, that can control you. So be very mindful in the sense that follow your gut. If you don't trust it, you don't trust it, but you don't have to throw that lack of trust constantly. Trust is earned. I used to say it all the time, just like phone and those things. Those are privileges. Privileges are earned. Trust is earned. So find the mantras and the words that you can use and come back and anchor to that don't bring you into an argument that's going to blow up because no one's going to win out of that. In fact, they will win. They will win hands down because you're going to get roped in and nothing is fixed. The more you can honor yourself, and it's just, I used to say, that's not my choice. That's your choice. This is where your life is going, but that's your choice. If you don't want that, make a different choice. It got to the point where it was like, mom, seriously, I know it's my choice. I'm like, cool. Well, that's what you want for your life. This is the result. I want something different. And so trust-wise, I still don't. I would love to say that I 100% believe in, in all those things, but... What I can say is, is that I know what I can control now and what I can't. And if it's something that I can't control, I work really hard not to be like so invested. Somebody was said to me, what are you going to do if that shoe drops again? I'm like, shoe might drop again. It might. But if that shoe drops, then I will stop and pick it up and I will figure out how to handle it at that time. I think when you deal with something like addiction, it is a lifelong journey and it's a lifelong experience. It's not that it's just all of a sudden some, yeah, it might be gone, but there's ongoing challenges and things that might happen. Mental health is involved. There's a lot of other pieces. There's a lot of moving parts to it. So trust is something I think that you rebuild by action, not words. And it takes time to rebuild. And in a way it might never be fully built and that's Mm -hmm. maybe okay. Exactly, exactly what you're just saying. It might not ever rebuild, 
and you have to be okay with that. So that also means, like I said, you love them as they are. You give them love, what they, but they're creating their life. If they want something different, they can create something different. I'll encourage and support you. But that trust piece is always being mindful. Like, I mean, we got, we did the things, we got the safe, we did the, we did all those things. Didn't matter. Things still went missing. Things still happened. So trust your gut. Your gut is probably always, it's probably speaking to you in the best way possible. And again, I don't know what the, legal because this obviously this podcast can be heard from all over the world you're going to have different things in different areas for legal but i can tell you honestly that i actually reported my kids police to the police multiple times and actually created charges multiple times and was in courts multiple times to the point once where my one time was like i can't believe you're doing this to me and i'm like i will do this to you every single time every single time because my job is to give your future self a chance my job is not for you to like me. My job is to give your future you a chance. So that's the piece of it that find your way that you can be consistent and stick to it. And I said, I'll do it every single time. And also if you get into trouble as an adult and you end up being in, we we actually have an ongoing joke in our house and they know it. Like if you get taken in or something, don't call me because I'll come visit you, but I will never come take you out. That's not my job. And so it's, I'm not telling you what to do. I'm just sharing what I did. Well, that's very inspiring and important to hear and very courageous of you, I must say, uh, to share it so many, in so many ways. You also wrote a book that you share your story and empower parents with it. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yes. So my book is called When She Stopped Asking Why. And the reason that it's called that is because that was the turning point. The moment I stopped asking why is when my life changed. I'm serious. And it's, it's, I really encourage people to think, I'm hoping it can help people to think a little bit differently. When you, the why only matters when you're working towards a goal. When you are sitting in a space of why, that's a victim mindset. I don't judge that. I spent a big chunk of my life in that space. And as, but as a victim mindset, nothing will change because you're looking for the answer as to why did this happen to you? And there is no answer. If somebody walked up and said, this is exactly why, it still doesn't change your circumstances. So I had to stop myself from asking why and shift to what. And so that's the premise of the book is every time I ask myself why, it would be like, no, Marsha, why does it matter? What is an action word? What can I do right now? What is my next step? And I literally would repeat those words all day long to myself, especially in those early years, it was like, what can I do right now? What can I do? It's all about what it was never about why. And as soon as I made that change, a lot of things in my life changed. Uh, Where can people find the book? They can find it on Amazon or on my website, which is marshavanw.com. And that's also where you uh, share your podcasts as well as on all the podcast apps. Can you just uh, briefly share with us about your podcast, please? Absolutely. I started my podcast back in 2018 and it is called Own Your Choices, Own Your Life. Now that you know a little bit more about me, those words make sense. Own Your Choices, Own Your Life. And I share two solo episodes a week and one interview. And they are all about people who've come through difficult stories and they have found their way through the story and they are sharing with others how they can do and create change themselves too. So that is on all podcast platforms as well. And then I have a second podcast called Everybody Holds a Story. 
And it is about the trauma that is trapped inside of our bodies. And that is also important for learning how to change the story, right? You can't just think your way to a different story if you are somebody who has had a lot of trauma trapped in your body. And if I can just share that when you are going through an experience like this, I didn't know what PTSD was. I didn't understand it until a counselor watched my reaction to something. And she's like, you have PTSD. And I'm like, how do I have PTSD? I was like, I wasn't in war. I don't understand. We trap trauma and we feel that in our body, especially if you are in a space where you are dealing with addiction. I really encourage anybody to read Codependent No More by Melody Beattie because codependency is a very important thing to understand when it comes to dealing with addiction or any kind of addiction. And during that time, starting to understand like, what am I doing that is not helping with this? Or how can I change how I respond? Or, you know, codependency means that my entire life is dictated by the eggshells that I'm walking on over here. And I found myself in this space of trapped, a lot of trapped trauma and PTSD. And so that has taken, it's taken a number of years to be able to help to support myself healing wise in order to move through that. And it's important because if you want to rebuild any relationships, including trust, trust comes from us too. We have to be able to trust ourselves, right? Forgive ourselves and trust ourselves. That will help us to rebuild the other relationships in our life. Marsha Van Weinsberg, thank you so much for sharing your story and all these words of wisdom and encouragement. We will put all the show, all the links to the book and to your podcast on the show notes in at teendragabuse.co thank you everyone for listening and see you next week thank you for listening to the teen drug abuse podcast to get additional resources and support go to teendrugabuse.co